So here in this passage before us today, which is verses 12 and 13 of John chapter 15, Jesus reiterates his command to his disciples to love one another as he has loved us. This isn't new. In John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. John chapter 13 is a number of weeks ago, well, months ago now, because of the interlude of my trip to Canada in our preaching series. But John chapter 13 is literally the same night as the night on which Jesus also speaks the words in John chapter 15. It is the night of what we call the Last Supper, and Jesus is about to be crucified the following day, and these several chapters of John that we're right in the midst of are all spoken this night prior to his crucifixion. So Jesus reiterates (coughs) his command on this night to his disciples to love one another as he has loved us. And the repetition of this command reinforces its importance. As I said when I was preaching on John chapter 13, no father will call his son to his deathbed and say, Son, remember that the gardener is coming on Thursday and the water bill is due at the end of the month. And don't forget to turn off the light when you leave the room so that you save on your electricity. Like Nobody, though these are conversations we have in the ordinary course of life, nobody has these sorts of conversations right at the end. Nobody on the eve of their death occupies their mind with these sorts of trivialities unless there's something psychologically wrong with them and it's a coping mechanism. Hypothetically, you can imagine somebody just being a worry wart on their deathbed. But we would all recognize something's unhealthy about that. Something's abnormal about being preoccupied with those kinds of things. Rather, the kind of things that we speak of on our deathbed, the kind of things we speak of on the eve of our passing, are the things that are the most important, the things that are the dearest to our heart. We think, uh, for example, another um, example of what was dear to Jesus' heart as he hung on the cross, he said to John, Behold your mother. Woman, behold your son. He's looking after his mom on his uh, deathbed, so to speak, though his deathbed was a cross. We see Jesus speaking about things that are important to him here at the end. And twice in John chapter 13 and in John chapter 15, Jesus repeats this command. Love one another as I have loved you. We see then again that the standard for obedience to the command is Christ's love for His disciples. We talked a little bit about how the command itself is not new. From Leviticus, we know that we ought to love our neighbor. And so the command to love your neighbor, or to love one another, is not a new command. It's not, as is the case, or as some state is the case, it is not the situation that the Old Testament was preoccupied with law, and the New Testament is preoccupied with love. 
and that we ascend from this greater standard of um, from law all the way upward to love. That's just simply not the case. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Where does that come from? Deuteronomy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Where does that come from? Leviticus. That's just sim- it's just simply not the case that to love is a new command. But Jesus calls it a new commandment because He enjoins a uh, different motivation and, and in a sense a different standard uh, to this command. Instead of simply saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself, He says, love your neighbor as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. And of course, no one had ever seen Jesus love His disciples by the time that Leviticus was written or, or Deuteronomy was written. Nobody saw the baby born from Bethlehem grow up and become a man and have compassion on the crowds as sheep without a shepherd and uh, teach them and heal the sick and persevere with them in their obstinacy and so forth and ultimately, as is about to happen, lay down his life on the cross. That hadn't happened temporally at the time that the original commands to love were given. And so Jesus is about to lay down his life for his friends. And he says, when I'm gone, after I leave, I want you to look at what I did and love one another like that. Jesus went as far as one could possibly go in loving another. Sometimes we think about being loving as merely the absence of hostility. So if somebody gets very angry in a conversation about a heated topic, we say that that person is being unloving in contrast to all the people who didn't lose their temper, who presumably, by implication, are being loving. Sometimes we just think of basically, as long as you don't lose your temper, you're being loving. But love is really quite a lot more than that. I think a fair working definition of love, that this is not a Bible verse or anything, but I think a fair working definition of love that we could um, articulate, which, which I think does justice to the biblical data, is seeking to love, or pardon me, seeking another's good in spite of the cost to yourself. Seeking another's good in spite of the cost to yourself. And so you might not get angry at somebody in a particular conversation or in a particular situation, but it doesn't therefore follow that you are being loving to them. Because maybe there is an absence of hostility, but there, is, there may be actually no positive seeking of that person's good. You may be ambivalent towards that person. You may be disinterested in that person's well-being. And while you may hold back from actively criticizing them and being hostile towards them, you're not actually seeking their good. What we see in the gospel is not merely that God uh, turns His hostility away from us, but we see that He actually makes us His sons and His daughters. 
do you realize that it would be it would be great grace simply to be tolerated by God? It would be great grace simply to be in heaven, living far away from God, and yet to have God be quite content to have it that way. To dwell in the far reaches of the heavenly realm with God quite distant from us and quite content to be distant from us but at least we're not in hell you see but God has not merely not been hostile towards us but positively speaking he has actually lavished heavenly blessings upon us in Christ Jesus Jesus came to lay down his life for his friends, he tells us in this passage. To propitiate the wrath of God, to be sure that God's wrath would be turned away from us towards him, that he might bear it in our place. But not merely to be our propitiation, but actually so that God might be just in acting in a fatherly manner towards us, in giving us the kingdom. We read elsewhere, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you realize if Jesus hadn't come to live in our place and to die in our place and to rise, that we might also rise with Him? Do you realize that God would be unjust to give us the kingdom? So what Jesus was doing when He came to lay down His life was to seek that we might not only be not sent to hell, but that we might positively be received into God's family and be given heaven as well. There's this negative and this positive aspect the gospel is that not only are we not condemned, but that we are counted as righteous, that we are welcomed as sons and daughters. The gospel is more than simply the prodigal returning from the pigsty and being allowed to live in the servants' quarters and work for room and board. The gospel is that the father runs to the end of the driveway, like, welcome home, son. We must consider how to not only not be hostile to one another, but how to actively seek one another's good. That we wouldn't be happy simply not to put hell on someone, but that we might figure out how to bestow heaven upon someone, so to speak. Obviously, we're not saviors, so I think you understand what I mean when I say this here. Jesus, at great cost to himself, sought our good sought to bestow heaven upon us and not merely to spare us from hell. We must figure out how to love in a manner after Christ. It's Him who tells us this. He doesn't tell us to be saviors, but He does say, love one another as I have loved you. It is often difficult, but we simply must find a way to love one another. We simply must find a way to love one another. And as I say, this involves seeking to bestow heaven upon one another. 
and not merely to spare one another from hell, so to speak. The portrait that Jesus paints of the love that we ought to have one for another is not merely the portrait of a church in which there is an absence of hostility. It's not merely people who apathetically mind their own business without being obnoxious to others. This is not loving one another as Christ has loved us. We must find out, figure out a way to actually seek one another's good. To actually seek to to bless and to build up one another. And this is not always easy. There are many things that make it difficult. If you've been a Christian for any length of time whatsoever, you realize by now that Christians sin, sin against one another. Shock of all shocks. In a church, you will be hurt. Welcome to the club. This is, this is just par for the course. And the reason is because we are sinners. So you can't go into church and be like, well, I'm not going to love these people because they're sinners. I'm not going to seek their good because they're sinners. And you can't even say, I'm not going to seek their good because it costs me too much. Because what did it cost Jesus? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What greater cost could you imagine someone paying than to give themselves up entirely for someone else? Now, when you think that that one is the incarnate Son of God who came all the way from the splendor of heaven, it only presses on us all the more that there is no cost that we should be unwilling to bear to seek the good of one another. It is often difficult, I admit, to love one another. It's often difficult, no doubt, for you to love me, for me to love you. But we simply must find a way to love one another. Let me speak specifically to the COVID-19 situation. Thus far, we've been really blessed to, to make it to this point without serious disunity and disharmony in our particular local church. I realize there have been differences of opinions Largely so far, we've been able to navigate it without it becoming um, hostile within the parameters of our own local church. But if if you're at all following along with what is going on on the global scene, you realize that disagreements are are literally dividing the church. Churches are splitting within themselves, and then you have churches splitting themselves from other churches over COVID-19 disagreements. Restrictions of various sorts are making worshiping and fellowshipping together more difficult. For us, we've 
decided to try to obey the government regulations and follow the mask mandates and the social distancing mandates and so forth, and that makes it difficult for us. The capacity restrictions are making it difficult every week as we're on the roster system. We would have twice as many people in here if we were allowed to, and we would be enjoying fellowship with one another in a better way uh, if it weren't work for these regulations. The mask mandates, the social distancing, these things are tedious. They restrict us. We can't even see each other's faces properly. People, some people are concerned about kids that are growing up um, and not seeing other people's faces um, and therefore not really learning how to read body language properly, which is actually a life skill, right? Like there are, we can't pretend that, that it's not a big deal. We follow the mask mandates and the social distancing mandates because we think that we ought to, not because we don't think it's a big deal. It's difficult. It hinders us. But even those churches which have decided not to follow restrictions uh, certainly are having a more difficult time worshiping and fellowshipping together. In fact, some pastors are being put in jail, churches are being fined, etc., etc. There's obviously great difficulty in following the regulations or not following the regulations. So right now, there's just difficulty. There's disagreement, and then there's difficulty. Will we view loving one another in the midst of the disagreement and in the midst of the difficulty? Will we view loving one another in this situation as optional? I.e., COVID permitting. Right? COVID willing. Right? What are you? You're, you're a mist that's here today and gone tomorrow. Instead of saying tomorrow we will do this and that, you should say COVID permitting. Right? You see? But this is, this is the way that a lot of people are functionally thinking. If COVID permits, we will love one another. If COVID permits, we will seek one another's good. Right? This is, this is wrong. This is... This is getting things out of whack. This is substituting um, ultimate allegiance to the COVID situation than to God. If we, re- if we let the COVID situation redefine the parameters of what we ought to be doing and what we must do. Right? Will we view loving one another as optional? Or will we view COVID and the attendant regulations as an obstacle that simply must be overcome. We just must love one another. In spite of the mask mandates, in spite of the social distancing mandates, in spite of the disagreements we have with other Christians, in spite of the way that these people think about vaccines or those people think about vaccines or these people think about masks or mandates or in spite of the way that these people are going to deal with the capacity restrictions and those people are going to deal with the capacity restrictions, we must, we must love one another. We have to. It's not like we're going to love one another so far and then it's like, well, if I have to wear a mask, then nah. Right? Or if I might go to jail, then not. Or, well, if you have the same opinion as me, 
But if not, then no. We cannot view what Jesus tells us in this passage. Love one another. As being something that we may or may not do, depending on how difficult and how inconvenient it is because of the disagreements and the difficulties that the COVID situation poses to us. We can't control what anybody out there does. We obviously. In fact, I can't even control what you do. And you can't control what I do. But when I say that we can control what we do, what I mean is we can take personal responsibility. We in this room can take personal responsibility. And look at the words of Christ. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And we can say, okay, then in spite of whatever disagreements and difficulties arise as a result of this COVID situation, I simply must find a way to love other Christians. I simply must, I must love as Jesus loved. Well, what if it, what if it gets hot? What if it gets difficult? Well, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. How much is too much when measured against Christ's commitment to loving us? What level of commitment could I ask from you which would be too much, too difficult, too inconvenient when measured against Christ's commitment to loving us? With respect to Disagreement that now John Flavel says what? To be in harmony with the Father, at peace with the Father, and yet at war with his children? It can never be. In his epistle, John says, Whoever does not love his brother whom he has seen, does not love God whom he has not seen. Let me read you a lengthy quote from Alexander McLaren, who up until this morning I thought was an Anglican, and I was quite pleased to find out he was actually a Baptist. He says here, does anybody believe that the present, he was, uh, to put it historically, um, latter half of the 1800s, so late 19th century, uh, does anybody believe that the present condition of Christendom and the relations to one another, even of good Christian people in the various churches and communions of our own and of other lands, is the sort of thing that Jesus meant here in John 15, verse 12? Is it anything like a fair and adequate representation of the deep, essential unity that knits us all together? We need far more to realize the fact that our emotions toward our brother Christians are not matters in which our own inclinations may have their way, but that there is a simple commandment given to us and that we are bound to cherish love to every man who loves Christ. Never mind though he does not hold your theology. Never mind though he be very 
ignorant and narrow as compared with you. Never mind that though your outlook on the world may be entirely unlike his. In other words, your worldview. Never mind though you be a rich man and he a poor one. Or you a poor one and he rich, which is just as hard to get over. Let all these secondary grounds of union and of separation be relegated to their proper subordinate place. And let us recognize this, that the children of the Father are one brethren. And do not let it be possible that it shall be said, as so often has been said, and said truly, that brethren in the church means a great deal less than the same term, brethren in the world. Lift your eyes beyond the walls of the little sheepfold in which you live, and hearken to the bleeding of the flocks away out yonder, and feel other sheep he has which are not of this fold, and recognize the solemn obligation of the commandment to love. You hear what he's saying there? If we call each other brothers, we need to act like brothers towards one another. He's saying often in the world, if people are going to call someone brother, they're going to mean more than we mean when we use it in Christianese. It ought not to be so. Are we brothers? Are the people of different denominations and churches down the street our brothers? Are the people who are ta- the people who are taking a different position on COVID matters are they our brothers? Are they our brothers who are vaccinated or are they our brothers who are unvaccinated? Are they our brothers who are wearing masks and social distancing? Are they our brothers who are defying the governmental regulations? Are these our brothers? If these are our brothers, if God be our common Father, then we must treat them as brothers. We simply must find a way to love through the difficulty, through the disagreement. Romans 15 and verse 7 says that we ought to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. How has Christ welcomed you, Christian? Not endorsing everything about what you believe. Not endorsing everything about who you are. Christ knows that you're mixed up about some things. Christ knows that I'm mixed up about some things. Christ knows that I have sin. I've got things that I need to change. So do you. Christ knows that. But look, He has made space for you around His table. He has sought your good nevertheless. Christ did not cast you aside, abandon you, withdraw from you in your need because of your deficiencies, because of the sins in your life or the errors in your worldview or your theology. Christ welcomed you. Likewise, you need to welcome others. Application. We need to cultivate a properly ecumenical spirit and disposition towards those with whom we disagree. Now when I say that, I don't mean that we're going to you're going to find me praying at some interfaith 
gathering of the Baha'is and the Muslims and the whoever. Now, there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So when I'm talking about ecumenism, that's not at all what I'm talking about. We need to be very, very clear. There is such a thing as brethren and then non-brethren. There is such a thing as sheep and goats. There is such a thing as in and out. But there is such a thing as sheep who are not of this fold, as Alexander McLaren would say. When Jesus originally said that, he was talking about Jews and Gentiles. But the same principle applies as Jews and Gentiles have been made one in Christ Jesus. Baptists and Methodists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians and Anglicans and everybody has been put together into one fold. Right? Jesus has sheep in different denominations. Jesus has sheep whose theology may differ from you in some way. Jesus has sheep whose worldview may differ from you in some way. And you realize that a lot of the COVID stuff that we're all navigating through globally is uh, more political than religious. A great deal of it is, is more political than religious, but people conflate the two. And so you have people who lean this way politically, and they say, this is God's way. And people who lean this way politically, and they say, no, 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 this is God's way. Right? You have people who differ from you politically, theologically, practically, but they are Christ's sheep. They are brothers. There is difficulty in loving them. There is disagreement that comes up, which, which is an impediment to love. But we simply must find a way to love. So we must, we must cultivate a properly ecumenical spirit and disposition towards those with whom we disagree. <clears throat> in other words, let me say it like this. Don't not love them. Okay? At least. Baseline. Don't not love them. <clears throat> Philippians 4.5 When we do speak about things which, of which we disagree, which we may do, being loving doesn't mean we can't disagree. But let us do what Philippians 4.5 says, and let your reasonableness be evident to all. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, Paul is giving instructions to Timothy about pastors specifically. And he says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach. Patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. So if somebody is an opponent and does evil to you, how should you treat him? Well, it says here that what you should do is be kind and gentle towards him. Even if he's evil? Yes, even if he's evil towards you. Even if he's your opponent? Yes, even if he's your opponent. So how much more ought we to really try to be kind and gentle towards those who are not our opponents, they're our brethren. They might be in opposition to you on a particular point, but in the grand scheme of things, they're not the enemy, you know? Conrad and Bayway posted a meme up on uh, social media a long, long time ago. I'm sure lots of other people have shared it as well, but it's, it's two gazelles fighting with each other while a lion stalks in the background. 
And this is obviously what, this is off, often, sorry, what's happening in the church. The gazelles are fighting each other while the lion encroaches, right? The gazelles are not your enemies, right? So we need to cultivate a properly ecumenical spirit and disposition towards those with whom we disagree. In other words, don't not love. Um, to whatever extent we can, and moral proximity comes in here, seek the good of the wider church. Seek to speak in a way that builds up and gives grace to those who hear. The concept of moral proximity is basically the idea that I'm not responsible for a believer in Peru the same way that I'm responsible to you, or for you, right? And that I don't have the same obligation to uh, somebody else's brother, like biological brother, as I have to my own biological brother. Right? This is the idea of moral proximity, that our proximity to someone or to a situation uh, affects how responsible we are for that. When we bring that concept then to this discussion, we realize that in the local church, we have more responsibility than we have to the church at large. So, well, we definitely shouldn't start quarreling with the greater church and being unkind and unloving towards the greater church and speaking in a way that tears down and so on and so forth. We're not necessarily responsible to build up a church in like Washington State right we're responsible to build up this church we need to be in other words positively loving here especially and not merely not not loving so how are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ here and now those to whom you do stand in close moral proximity. How are you seeking their good at cost to yourself or in spite of cost to yourself? Especially, um, especially those of us who have made that formal commitment to one another as members of this local church. But I think all of us who find ourselves here for this time and for this season need to feel the, this question. How are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ here and now? We're going to make a change for an indefinite season to help us do this better. Um, when we started this church, between Sundays we launched community group in the middle of the week. And we called it community group instead of Bible study. And we called it community group instead of prayer meeting, which would be more typical names for midweek meetings. Right? But the reason why we called it community group was that we wanted to, to indicate that part of what we must be doing as Christians is exactly this, what we find in the text, loving one another. And it is possible, and we've probably seen it, or at least many of us have seen it. It is possible to have a church culture in which nobody actually cares about one another. And you just go. And you just, you, even if it's like a reasonably orthodox church, you just go and you just hear good preaching. You go to Bible study in the middle of the week. You study the Bible. You pray, right? And the prayer request, like, you know, 
so and so, you know, is in the hospital. Let's pray that they will recover. And so and so, you know, is, needs a new job. And nobody ever really actually builds meaningful relationships with one another. And so we want to do intentionally say, hey, let's not do that, right? So Bible study is part of what we do. Prayer is part of what we do. But but we also wanted to create a venue for meaningful relationships to happen. And I told you from the beginning that that we believe that you ought to be here um, on the Lord's Day, that you have a moral obligation from God to gather with His people for worship on Sundays. And, and we have two services at CRBC, and so we, we put that moral obligation on our members to be there for both, obviously without the uh, um, roster situation impeding. We believe that our moral obligation is to keep Sundays entirely for the Lord and, and worship all day apart from necessity and mercy. So if you need to refresh your mind by taking a nap in the afternoon, no problem. You've got to eat your food, you've got to take a shower. If your car breaks down on the way to church, you could change the tire. We're not, right? If you want to visit a shut-in or talk, um, talk with somebody who needs a listening ear that's merciful towards them, like, yeah, no problem. We're not. Um, I think we're appropriately strict and not needlessly strict on what that means. But when we put that on Sunday, I've said always from the beginning, you don't have to come to community group. The Lord doesn't require that you come to community group. But what I also said was, the Lord does require that, that you meaningfully love the other members of this church. And that you build meaningful relationships with the other members of this church. That is something that you actually have to do. So you might not do that by means of community group, but if you don't do it by means of community group, you need to do it another way. Because it's not morally acceptable in God's eyes for you to say, well, I'm, I'm cool to just show up on Sunday, and I don't really want to love one another as Christ has loved me. Right? I don't really want to welcome others into my life as Christ has welcomed me. That's not really, that attitude is not really an option for Christians, right? So, we've been doing community group for the last few years, and since, I think it was since we went online for those couple of months last year when the whole island was shut down and locked down for a good while, I think it's since then we've been on Zoom on community group nights, which has been really, really tedious. I'm not going to lie. Even I don't want to lock on most Wednesday nights, to be honest with you. I've been, I've been encouraged and, and blessed um, oftentimes by logging on in spite of my reluctance to, but you know what they're calling Zoom fatigue? I got that. I think some of you guys got that. Many weeks, it's like two or three households online on Zoom. It is pretty rough. Curfew has rendered in-person community group gatherings essentially impossible. Um, when I was in Canada, I was actually really hoping to start meeting in person again once we got back. And then around mid-August, I started hearing about cases and cases and cases and cases and then boom, all of a sudden we're in another breakout and curfews and so on and so forth. Um, 
I feel like we're at a point as a church where I think everybody's kind of struggling and I think we're at a point where we really need to hear this from the Word of God. That loving one another as Christ has loved us is just not an option. And I, and I, and I think that at the beginning of last year when the COVID regulations started to be imposed and the language was 14 days to flatten the curve, I think some of us were just all too glad to like just go home and stay home and you know, not be going out and mixing in society for a while and just retreating into ourselves and just taking life easy for a little while, have a reprieve from all of the external burdens. Um, some of you were probably going crazy after about two hours, but not me. I was pretty, I was pretty cool to retreat for a little while. And I was doing a lot of reading and studying and contemplating and things that I gravitate more to and I was having less meetings, which I was not upset about, to be honest. <laughs> but look, it's not 14 days to flatten the curve. All right, we know that by now. We're like a year and a half into this pandemic, and it's not 14 days to flatten the curve. They're talking now, some people are saying like two years, three more years, right? Mask, mask mandates, social distancing. Look. We can't retreat into ourselves and into our homes forever, right? And we, we can't, um, we just simply can't not love one another. So while there's been an absence of hostility in the church, and I'm, I am genuinely thankful for that, because in a lot of churches there has not been an absence of hostility and has become really tenuous and really like churches are fragmented. Well, I'm thankful for the absence of hostility I think, that, I think that we're in a season where we really need to double down on like, hey, but we have positive responsibilities towards one another. We need to not only not be unloving towards one another, but we also need to seek one another's good, we, which means we need to know each other. We need to engage with one another. We need to interact with one another. We need to... We need to therefore be in one another's lives and, and be in meaningful relationship with one another, etc., etc. And I think that community group is not really giving us great bang for the buck right now, doing it on Zoom, to be honest. So starting this week, we're going to temporarily replace community group with the encouragement to intentionally gather with other members of the church with the goal of building, maintaining, and or deepening love for one another. I'm not going to say when you have to do that, how you have to do that. If, if you want to get together with a brother or a sister or a household that is concerned about COVID and wants to do masks and social distancing, then I think you need to um, respect that right our government has been careful to say we can't mandate what you do in your own homes right so you can make those kind of choices yourselves about how that works but we need to some people might want to have a phone call instead of a visit some people would be more comfortable with that but 
what I want to do is I want to take I want to take off the responsibility and the pressure of community group while being really clear that taking off that pressure and that responsibility is not taking off the pressure of loving one another. In fact, kind of the opposite. I'm, what I'm kind of saying is I don't think we're doing a really good job of loving one another right now. And so what I want to do is remove the, the what may be even possibly an impediment of tying up one night a week that you could otherwise be maybe exercising hospitality, having someone over, going to visit someone, making a couple phone calls, whatever. And I want to, to really press on you what Jesus says here. Love one another as I have loved you. Seek one another's good in spite of the difficulty that, we'll, that it will entail. You've got to figure out curfew. You've got to figure out transportation. You've got to figure out... Um, uh, how you're going to navigate through the regulations and the restrictions. You've got to get outside your comfort zone and pick up the phone and initiate with someone. And for some of you, that's uncomfortable to do that. You've got to answer the phone when someone that you don't really know calls you. You've got to, you've got to have an impetus in your heart to say yes when someone invites you over that you kind of maybe don't feel like going. Like... You understand what I'm saying? I'm actually kind of putting more on rather than taking more off, right? But what I'm trying to say is it doesn't have to look this specific way. And so at this juncture of the pandemic, I think we need to not be tied to the specific way, but we need to kind of recalibrate and look at the biblical command that's underneath it, which is love one another as I have loved you. So... Um, I, I, I'll leave that with you to sort of the details. Um, though, though part of what I'm going to be doing is, is asking you and engaging with you like, hey, how are you, remember the question I asked you, how are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ now? So I might, I might give you a call or I might WhatsApp you, hey, since we uh, suspended community group, how have you been intentional about loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? And those are conversations that, that we'll have together. Um, but I'll leave it to you to work out the details. One thing I want to say is we want to be sure to do it as Christians. Right? So in other words, it's okay to get together and talk about sports and talk about careers and talk about family. And In fact, that's such a normal and healthy part of normal relationships. So, great. But what I, what I do want to say is make sure at some point when you connect with someone, whether you phone them, whether you go to their house, whether you have them to your house, at some point, open the Bible together, even if it's just to read a few verses or a chapter together. You don't have to preach. You don't have to give a Bible study. But just say, hey, let's, let's look at the Word of God together. You know, this is one of my favorite songs. Or, you know, this is a chapter that I like. Or this is something I've been thinking about lately. Or whatever. Read the Bible and pray together. At least. Right? If you can, if you can open up a hymn book or put on a YouTube song or something and sing together, that's ideal as well. Um, but, uh, but make sure that you, that you try to not just get together as, as humans, but get together as Christian humans, right? And make it, get that distinct aspect of Christian fellowship, edification, speaking and interacting in a way that builds up 
and gives grace to those who hear. There is great polarization happening outside the church right now. And even in the church universal, there is great polarization happening. Now is a key time to hold together, at least within our local church. Since that's all we can really control anyway, which is what I was saying earlier. So let us all hear this call of Christ to love one another. Let us, hear, let us hear Christ repeating this command the night before He died. Right Again, love one another as I have loved you. Let us remember Christ Himself as the standard and not shrink back from this mandate to love one another in spite of the challenges and the difficulties that the COVID-19 situation presents us with. Let us not shrink back because that might be too hard or too inconvenient, but let us remember Christ the standard who came from heaven and went all the way to the cross to love us. Surely we can overcome these COVID obstacles. Let's, just, let's not just agree with the theory of this. Yeah, Christians ought to love one another, but let's, let's work it out in practice. If Christians ought to love one another, then Christians here in Barbados right now ought to love one another, right? And Christians in this local church ought to love one another. Let's work it out. Not just agree with the theory of this, but put it into practice. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends.